Well, turn with me, please, to John chapter 11. Did you enjoy Ray Johnson last Sunday? Huh? Was he fun? I understand we saved on our energy bill by not running the air conditioning while he was here. At least it wasn't working, so had good warm fellowship, but um, I listened to his message and just uh, getting us going that, uh, you know, how do we go in God's power and do something great for God and not just to be safe, let's, let's let God live through us, let's do something big and uh, let's take some risks to bring the love of Jesus to this part of the world. And um, I have just enjoyed him. In fact, last year we said, you know, we're going to a conference called Thrive at a church in Sacramento. It's at his church. So this year when we're going in April, when you hear us say, hey, we're going to Thrive. If you want to go, you could, you could go. He's, um, uh, he'll be there. And uh, he, it's at his church, and he'll be one of the speakers. So he just exudes the joy of the Lord, and I appreciate that. Cindy and I were suffering for Jesus in Maui, doing what you do in Hawaii. Resting and enjoying, I, I didn't gain any weight, at least, you know, two pounds, so that's statistically not, not significant, I suppose. But uh, uh, we were having a, a, a great time and thinking and praying of you. Realized here we are on a trip together, the two of us, but got thinking about our spiritual journey that we're going to take together and uh, realized, you know, on any trip, either those or like the ones we did for church to Turkey or to Israel... I have a few goals on every trip. One is to, sorry to raise that last week in a different way, I suppose, to, but to be safe and uh, to know that, uh, you know, safety is a concern. How do you get through a trip safely? And a second is to have a lot of fun. And uh, he certainly adds a lot of fun. And then the third is to hit the target. You know, uh, reach your goal, accomplish the objective, finish what you set out to do. And so as we head into a spiritual journey uh, together, I want us to do those same things, to say, how do we move forward safely? How do we have a lot of fun in the process? But how do we reach the goal? How do we hit the target? How do we accomplish what God would have for us as a church? Because we want to hear him say, well done, someday. So who has, or can you turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 11? John 11, we've been in this series in the book of John called John Is, or Jesus Is talking about the identity of Jesus. Who is Jesus? And um, his identity is the most important thing because uh, who you see Jesus is is going to determine how you spend this life and where you spend the next one. And in John chapter 10 at the end, Jesus is in an argument with religious people in Jerusalem, and they get so irritated, some of them pick up stones, and then they also try to arrest him. And he managed to escape them, and he got out of Dodge and before they could do him some harm or put him in jail or worse. And he traveled east and north, and he crossed over the Jordan River. So now he was in the next country over, and you would think that he would be safe. And then he gets the call. A call from some of his closest friends, Martha and Mary, his friends in Bethany, send word to Jesus that their brother Lazarus is sick, very sick, and needs their help. It's urgent. Jesus, we need you. Could you get here, please? And Bethany is a suburb of Jerusalem. It's a walking distance from Jerusalem. So to go visit them now would be very risky. It would be going right back into the life-threatening situation that Jesus had just uh, moved out of as quickly as possible. And so he has a crisis and a problem. What's he going to do. John 11 begins this way. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Now, I went looking in the Bible first for women named Mary. It seems like everybody and her sister was named Mary in those days. And so there's a whole bunch of those uh, Marys. And 
then there's, but there's this one that has a sister named Martha, and they first show up in Luke 10, verse 38, where it says, Jesus was invited into the home of a woman named Martha, and also living there was her sister Mary and Lazarus. And uh, you remember that uh, they're cooking, getting something ready for Jesus to eat, and then Mary just invites herself out to sit at the feet of Jesus to listen to what he's talking about. And Martha gets irritated enough that comes out and says, Master, don't you care? My sister has abandoned me in the kitchen, and tell her to come out and get back to work, and there's some potatoes to peel or something, you know, to do to get this meal ready. And Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha, you're troubled about many things. Mary has chosen the better portion. And so Mary just seemed to have this deep love for Jesus, and she, uh, it says that she anoints his feet. Well, Mark, Mark 14 and Matthew 26 tell the story of a woman, they don't give her name, uh, in the home of Simon the leper in Bethany. And the, this woman comes to the banquet where Jesus is there, and she anoints his head with alabaster. It's the same village where Mary and Martha lived, and so presumably it could have been the same banquet, but it says that they, this woman anointed Jesus' head. John chapter 12, Jesus anoint, uh, Mary anoints Jesus' feet. And there's one other story. It's in Luke chapter 7 where a woman found her way into a banquet where Jesus is with a whole bunch of Pharisees and they're basically there to try to pin him in his words and to find fault with him. And she walks in behind Jesus and of course they're all reclining, you know, while they eat and she begins to splash tears onto his feet. She's crying so hard and then to wipe it with her hair. And this is kind of making a scene. I mean, this doesn't happen to just everybody, you know. So there's kind of this drama happening over on this side around Jesus and the host, whose name is Simon notices and he thinks to himself, if Jesus was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. She's a sinful woman. He wouldn't let her touch him. And Jesus responds to his thoughts and says, Simon, I have a story to tell you. There was two people that owed a debt to the same person. One was a little debt. One was a huge debt. He forgave them both. Which one loved him more? And Simon said, well, I suppose the one whose debt was larger. And he says, you've answered correctly. Then he asks him, do you see this woman? She's crying there. She's splashing tears on his feet. She's wiping her, her hair all over his feet. Everybody's watching her. He says, do you see this woman? Because she's demonstrating that she really loves me. You forgot to wash my feet. She is washing them with her, with her tears. And uh, she is showing that her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. Now, that's the only other time in the Bible it talks about a woman washing Jesus' feet and then drying it with her hair. And, and so whether those are the same story or not, we don't know for sure. Maybe Martha was the responsible older sister who had the family home and took care of everybody. Maybe Mary was that wild child that had gone off the deep end and found herself too deep selling herself into sin. And along came Jesus and she hears his message and she said, I want that, I need that in my life. And she was <clears throat> convicted and and received Jesus' forgiveness and came to just to say thank you out of deep gratitude. And then she went home to live with Martha. And then when Jesus came to visit, well, here was Jesus right in her own home, just couldn't help but sit at his feet. She couldn't get enough of him to hear his words, his truth, forgive him his, her full attention, to, to give generously to him. 
And so I don't know if that's the whole situation. That's all of the people in the Bible that uh, did anything as far as anointing Jesus with his, on his head or his feet. Maybe it was all one event and both happened at the same time, but it's split out into different stories. Somehow we know this for part for sure. Jesus had developed a very special relationship with this family. So when their brother Lazarus gets sick and they think, oh, this is pretty serious, they call to Jesus. Verse 11, chapter 11, verse 3. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now they're making it clear, Jesus, we need your help. We need you now. And Jesus feels the pressure because he's told this presumably with all the disciples standing around him. And it says, when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, the disciples knew that Jesus was extra special and had superpowers. And so when he says this illness is not to death, it's for the glory of God. If I were one of the disciples, if you were one of the disciples standing there, we would be thinking, oh, well, this isn't real serious then with Lazarus. He's going to get well. You wouldn't be expecting him to die, would you? Jesus said it's for the glory of God. So you and I in this situation would have felt pressure to respond. How do we fit this into our schedule? How do we take the risk to go be with our friend? What can we do to help? Even if we're busy or tired or, or, or have a whole lot on our plate, we would do this for a friend. But Jesus didn't. He knew that this illness would be for the glory of God, and it wasn't mainly about Lazarus' death, even though Lazarus died. It was mainly about bringing glory to the Son of God. And... It was mainly about God and His Son and how glorious they are. So Jesus said, this illness doesn't lead to death. God's going to be glorified in it. Do you remember back in chapter 9 when there was a man who had been born blind and people wondered, was this, is this guy sin or did his parents say he was born blind? In other words, this is so bad being blind, somebody must have done something wrong and now they're paying for it. And Jesus said, well, neither one. He was born blind so that the works of God might be made manifest, that the glory of God might shine through his life. So in chapter 9, Jesus uses a disability to bring glory to God. In chapter 11, he uses Lazarus' illness and death to bring glory to God. So when you and I face a crisis or a tragedy or even death, how do we move in our thinking away from, oh God, how come you didn't know more about this or hurry up and help solve my problem? How do we move to God? How do you use this situation in my life to bring glory to God? How do I get in step with God's Spirit to say, these kinds of things that happen in our life, God will use them. He's got plans in some of them. He doesn't exactly explain all the fine print to us in advance. He just wants us because we know him to love him and to trust him and to follow him. Verse 5 says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And John goes, oh, stresses three times how much he loves this family because he knows that what Jesus is about to do does not look like love, does not feel like love, won't seem like love to these people for most of the time. It says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, therefore, when he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was for two days. And Jesus knew what that would mean, the delay. It would mean the certainty of Lazarus' death. 
And finally, Jesus decides to go to Bethany, and he says, I need to go to Bethany to see Lazarus. And the disciples remember the previous conversation, and Jesus says he's, he's, he's fallen asleep. And they said, whoa, well, that's good for somebody who's sick. If they finally get to sleep now, they're going to get well. And Jesus has to say plainly, no, no, Lazarus has died. Now, if you remember the first conversation where Jesus said, this illness is not to death, and now he's telling you Lazarus has died, you, you'd be going, whoops. Did Jesus just slip up? Did he just make a mistake? Did he just not get the signals right? What happened? He said it wasn't unto death and Lazarus died. And you would be wondering about Jesus because you've seen him till this point that he is uh, extraordinary and he has powers from God. And uh, some people believe that he is God, which he is in human flesh, and he doesn't make mistakes. So first he said, it's not unto death. Now he says, Lazarus has died. We're going to go to him. And Lazarus really died. It wasn't an easy thing. And he had prayed. And as far as Lazarus knew, Jesus never showed up. And his sisters saw him die, and they had prayed. And then they buried him, and they wondered, where's Jesus? I mean, this was real death, real loss, real grief, anguish, unconsolable. And Jesus just didn't show up to stop it. What kind of friend is that? And, you know, in that culture, you would bury the person within 24 hours. If they died in the morning, you'd bury them in the afternoon. And so in the way John presents the story, he wants us to see that the resurrection of Lazarus is a picture of our resurrection, the resurrection of all who believe in Jesus. Lazarus died and was resurrected by Jesus. This is our hope, too, that after we die, we will be fully alive in Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said when he finally got to town, verse 23. Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And in other words, Jesus says, my raising your brother is just what happens to everybody who believes in me. It was love that moved Jesus to let Lazarus die. And we're intended to ask the question, how is that love? Jesus loves them, so he lets them die. Why is that love? Because the illness wasn't leading to death. It wasn't primarily about Lazarus' death. It was about giving glory to God. And seeing somebody come back from the dead after four days certainly would cause people to raise their eyebrows and to say, wow, this was the power of God. God is here. God is at work. God is among us. We better give God the glory and respect him and be on our knees before him. This illness put the glory of God on display. It made Jesus look amazing. And verse 6 says that Jesus lets him die. So what was Jesus doing? Was it love? Well, yes, he was giving them what they needed the most. What they needed the most wasn't a healing. What they needed was the fullness of the glory of God to shine in their lives. He wants to bring us as well the fullest and longest joy. Where is that? Here? No, it's in eternity. I mean, to see the glory of God and to admire and to marvel and to savor the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Love means helping people see and treasure the glory of God as their supreme joy, to help people see and be satisfied with the glory of God. And so Jesus says to them plainly, Lazarus has died to his disciples. 
And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there because I want you to believe. See, the human counterpart to the revelation of God's glory is believing. God does something that displays His glory. Our proper response is to believe and adore. It's what Moses had begged for. God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And when he had seen the glory of God, he came down from the mountain. The glory was shining, radiating from him. And that's what, how God works often through us, through his people. In difficult situations, in impossible situations, he demonstrates his glory. Stay strong. Keep the faith. So Jesus let Lazarus die to show the glory of God and to intensify the faith of his disciples and to strengthen it. And that's really what this Gospel of John is about. It, it reveals the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth, and it awakens a deep faith in Him of those who become His believers, His followers. Jesus not only creates life and sustains life, He is life. And that's the main point. He loves you, and He died for you. The Bible says Jesus suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. And we celebrated that right here around the table in his body and his blood. So think about this. Nobody came along and whispered to Mary and Martha, now, psst, and Lazarus, your brother is going to die, and then it's going to be four days, and then God's going to raise him from the dead. So stay steady for those four days. Nobody gave them that insight. They just knew Jesus and had to trust him. And so their hearts were broken and they judged God too soon. You know, sometimes God is doing more in a situation than you know. And the resurrection is going to bring it all to light. So in the meantime, trust Him, treasure Him above all things. And so when Jesus does get to Bethany, three different, first there's Mary, Martha, then there's Mary, then, then there are the mourners who come behind. And each time there's a thinly veiled questioning of His love, a suspicion, a doubt. You might have had moments like that in your faith where you were disappointed in God. I know when we come to church, we say, how are you? And we say, fine. And people aren't exactly lying. They're just answering on the surface because they think you're asking on the surface. And that's one of the beauties of our growth groups and our small groups, our Sunday school classes, uh, grief share, the, 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 those kind of gatherings where people can be with people, where you can have real conversations that go deeper and uh, ask those kind of questions. And there are people asking deep questions of God because they've been disappointed with what's happened in their life and they've prayed and their prayers didn't seem to work, didn't seem to make a difference. And if you're in that situation, then number one, take it to God because he's got big shoulders and he would love to hear from you, even if it's in disappointment, even if it's in anger, take it to the Lord. And the second is don't judge too soon because this story proves that it ain't over when it's over with God because with God, all things are possible. And so Jesus gets taken to task three times. First, when Martha, in verse 20, says, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house, and Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Then a few verses later, Mary comes out and she says, came to the place where Jesus was, and she saw him, she fell at his feet, and she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
And then third come the mourners a few verses later. And I was seeing Mary, and Mary had gotten there in tears, uh, just crying violently. And Jesus himself had, had cried. In fact, it's the shortest verse in the Bible people like to memorize. You know it, John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. So the mourners come along, and they say, see how much he loved him. Look, he's weeping. And some of them said, well, couldn't he open the eyes of the blind man have kept this guy from dying? Jesus had chosen to love Lazarus and his sisters by not coming immediately. And now his not coming is being used to question his love. And if you had, if you had come right away, there would be nobody crying. There would, be, there would be no grief. There would have been no loss. And they didn't understand what Jesus was about. So how does Jesus respond? He responds three different ways to the three different affronts. First, with profound truth about himself. To Martha, he says... Your brother will rise again. And Martha says to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I mean, here Jesus reveals his glory with his words and with the truth. He says, you know, you believe in this great day of resurrection that's coming, and you're right, it is. When all the believers will be raised bodily from the graves and to meet the Lord in the air, you're right. But here's the mystery. I am the arrival of that day. You thought the day would come with the Messiah. I am the Messiah. I have come. And to Lazarus, he basically says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And to us, he says, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. So he basically says, I will rescue Lazarus, body and soul, from the grave. And when I do, it doesn't matter whether I do it sooner or later, because he belongs to me. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There's not one nanosecond when you're out of fellowship with God. So he says, you know what it means, Martha? It means I love you. I love your brother. I've not abandoned his soul to the pit or let his flesh be destroyed. I will raise him. I will keep him in everlasting fellowship with me. And I'm telling you this to so that you will see the glory of God because I love you. Look how Martha responded. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. Jesus also responded with strong emotion when Mary got there and she said, you know, if, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And she's just crying. He begins to cry too. She's basically saying, where were you? How come you didn't respond? How come you didn't care? How come you didn't reach out? How come you didn't help? And Jesus responds with strong emotion. And John Piper gave me some great insight on this. There's two words here that describe Jesus' emotion. He was deeply moved in verse 33, and he was greatly troubled in his spirit. The first word is used in verse 38 and then again, and then three more times outside the gospel. It's never a word of compassion. It's a word of rebuke or of warning. And the other word, greatly troubled, signifies being shaken or agitated. You remember in uh, John 5 where it says that the angel came and stirred up the water in the pool? It was agitated. And then in chapter 14, he says, let not your hearts be, it's the same word, agitated, be troubled. It's not a positive emotion. Jesus is shaken. He's upset. He's disturbed by the way his motives are being questioned by people who love him. I mean, with great emotional forcefulness, Mary has said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. There's this accusation, Jesus, you failed me. You failed us. And this is deeply disturbing to Jesus. 
and his emotions are complex. See, Jesus is not just a potted plant. He wasn't just a rock by the side of the road. He's this great God-man. He has these deep, strong emotions that are always accorded perfectly with every situation. And so here he's facing anger and grief and suspicion and questioning in his act of love. And these things are shaking him a bit. And Jesus responded then with powerful action by himself, first with profound truth, then with strong emotion, and then with powerful action. He says, take away the stone. And Martha, she resists even still because maybe she's not sure he really can do that level miracle. She, she says, Lord, by this time there's an odor. And the King of James says, for he stinketh. <laughs> Remember back at the beginning, Jesus told the disciples, this illness does not lead to death. It leads to the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So now at the gravesite, Jesus says to Martha, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? I am the resurrection. That's part of my glory. And he puts his glory on display. He has a prayer to God that he says loud enough for everybody to hear. And then he says he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. I mean, this is the glory of Jesus. Jesus raised Lazarus because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And he's the arrival in history of God's final glorious renovation of all things, including our bodies. He makes all things new. And so believers, you know, you'll be raised from the dead and be alive in the presence of God in the kingdom of heaven. Lazarus is a preview of our resurrection. It's a preview of the coming glory. And God says to us, I love you. My love for you is not sparing you suffering and death. It's not telling you everything in advance. My love is the gift of myself and my glory. Do you see me? Do you see me for who I really am? Come to me. I have much more to show you. So what is love? What does it mean to be loved by Jesus? Love means giving us what we need most. And what we need most is not a healing, but an experience of the glory of God. And we need Jesus to cover our sin and our shame, which he does by dying himself and being the sacrificial lamb and offering himself as the sacrifice. Jesus' death put the glory of God on display, and we are welcome to enter into his glory. Shall we pray? Dear Jesus, I thank you for this little family, for how you worked in their life. And I pray that you'll be working in our hearts and in our lives as well, that we will trust you in all things, even when things don't seem to be going our way, even when our prayers don't seem to be answered, that this will strengthen our faith, that you're doing something bigger than us, something we don't understand, but that we will give you glory and see the glory of God magnified through us. Thank you. Amen.